in between episode 11, Motivating Walking. Today, I speak with my dad, Frederick Richter, PhD, on the matter. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. No one disputes the health benefits of walking. If you walk, you're healthier than if you don't. And populations who walk are healthier than populations who don't. So walking matters if we're going to affect population health in this country. But how do you get feet on the street? Today, I talk with my dad, Frederick Richter, PhD, about the matter. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Dad. Thank you, Stace. I'm so happy to be here and be part of your podcasts. Let us talk about the benefits of walking. There's really so many benefits to walking from a health standpoint. I, I heard somebody say, What if there was a pill, and if you took the pill, it would lower your risk of heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, osteoporosis, cancer, cognitive decline, and it had virtually no negative side effects. People would be lining up on the streets to get that pill. All it is is you have to walk a couple hours a week. And, and people who walk are happier than people who don't walk. As you walk, you have a, a better outlook on life. You're more satisfied with life as opposed to somebody who's who's sitting in a in a traffic jam, having commuted for an hour, and you get road rage, and now they're finding this after-effect road rage where maybe you didn't take it out on your fellow driver, but you walk into your house and kick the dog and yell at your kid. People tend to drive, but as they drive, they put on weight, and then you get all the problems of weight gain and the adverse health effects. Cars are obesogenic. <laughs> Great word. It means fat making. And, and the more people just get in their car to drive places that they might be able to walk, it's really to their detriment. Americans are among the fattest people on the planet. I've seen charts that say up to two-thirds of Americans are overweight. Two-thirds of us. Do you feel like there's a connection between the amount of time spent in the car and that obesity number? Oh, absolutely. Here's an, an interesting statistic. The risk of obesity increases 6% for every hour we spend in a car commuting. We're being forced by sprawl to move farther and farther away from places that we could walk. Kids are walking less and less. Lots of kids used to walk to school. Now less kids are walking to school. As schools get, instead of being built in little towns, these huge campuses are, are being built on the edge of town, so they can no longer walk there. The infrastructure doesn't allow them to bike there. The roads are dangerous. There's no bike paths. There's no bike lanes. So people are forced to drive. The more you drive, the fatter you are. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, putting it very bluntly. And going the other way, the risk of obesity decreases with every mile that you walk on a regular basis. The more you drive, the more you put on weight. The less you drive, the more you walk, 
the likelihood that you'll take off weight increases. I think that's been also borne out. People who live in New York City are, are some of the fittest in the country. So I could see how that's a proven point in a number of different directions. Let's talk about the infrastructure. And you, you sort of alluded to it a little bit, I think, as you were mentioning that if there's no sidewalks or bike paths, it makes it hard to really walk or <laughs> ride your bike. But what is it about an infrastructure or the community that either entices walking or obstructs it? First of all, when roads are being designed now, the main reason or the, the main goal of the, of the road is speed. They want to move cars as, as fast as possible through a, a given segment of the road. That shouldn't be the main goal. The main goal should be to have as many users as possible use the road and use it safely. And so often now we'll see roads that don't have wide shoulders. Some of them don't have any shoulders. And some of the ones that have narrow shoulders, the shoulders aren't maintained. So the shoulders have more potholes on it. They usually have more litter on it. And they have what's called creep. And what creep is, is the stuff that's on the side of the road, like the dirt and the grass or something, you know, over time, it just kind of oozes out onto the shoulder. And as, as somebody who uses the shoulders quite a bit, as I walk and run and bicycle, over a time, the shoulder starts to disappear. And what that does, it, it forces the walker or the biker out into the travel lanes of the road. And, and that's a dangerous place to be, especially as the roads are designed to have cars go faster. So you're thrust out into a road where a car is going 50, 60 miles an hour. Not a good place to be. Yeah, I think I read something that said that if a car is going over 35, the chances of the pedestrian being fatally injured, they go up exponentially or something. They do. They absolutely do. If, if you're hit by a car going 20 or 25 miles an hour, the likelihood that you'll survive the impact is seven to 10 times higher than if you're hit by a car going 15 miles an hour faster than that. So the fact that you're mixing cars going very fast with pedestrians in places where it's dangerous, it's a, it's a bad mix. And, and actually, the number of pedestrian deaths are increasing. So, you know, as traffic accidents or traffic crashes, there's also a movement not to call them accidents anymore, but to call them crashes. An accident is something that happens accidentally, and a crash is something that somebody is making a decision to do. So, most crashes come from speed, and now a, a huge number are coming from what's distracted drivers, driving without awareness. So people are making conscious decisions to go fast. People are making conscious decisions to text. So it's not an accident anymore. It's a crash. And in lots of the writings, the word accident is being replaced by the word crash. Last year, the number of crashes increase. And that includes the number of crashes for, between car and car, car and bike, car and pedestrian. 
And it's the first time in many years that the numbers are going up. And the numbers are going up more quickly for vulnerable road users, which are, are walkers and pedestrians. So on one hand, we have all these health benefits and just a, a huge imperative in this country to get people to adopt a healthy lifestyle and get out there and, and walk or bike. On the other hand, we're making it very dangerous for them to do so. What can a community do or a, a town do to make it safer in this dangerous era we appear to be living in? Well, of course, one would be to work with your Department of Transportation or the community fathers to make infrastructure that supports walking or, or bicycling. What's this with this, the fathers, Kimosabi? What about mothers? <laughs> okay, town mothers as well. The, the town supervisors or the, the powers of the, of the community that make decisions on, on infrastructure like sidewalks. Example, the little town that we live in, the little town that you grew up in, there's weird sidewalks that they stop, they start, and, and where they stop, where do you go? You're forced to go out into the street. 25% of all walking trips are on streets that have no shoulders and no sidewalks. So people are actually either walking on private property or walking in, in travel lanes. And I think I remember you talking one time about how people will, if such things are the case, in other words, they realize that they are going to be placed into a dangerous situation, they will choose not to walk. Absolutely. There's an old saying, when fear appears, pedestrians depart. You need two main criteria for people to walk. Number one, they have to feel that where they're walking is safe. The second thing is they have to find it interesting. And when I say safe, I, I mean not that they're going to be mugged, but that when as they're walking the street that a car is not going to hit them, a car is not going to jump up on the sidewalk and and hit them, or when they cross the street, they're going to be hit by a car. So they have to feel safe that where they're walking is safe, and they have to feel that where they walk is interesting. And you talked about the city a couple minutes ago. Well, the city has lots of interesting things. And, and just think about people will tend to walk in a place that's interesting. Why will somebody walk for five miles through the streets of New York or walk miles through the streets of Paris and not walk down to the corner in an urban sprawl subdivision? What's on those city streets that make it interesting. One of the things is that the scenery is continually changing. So you're walking on a city street. Number one, the buildings are right up alongside the sidewalk. So as you're walking, the scenery is changing all the time. The buildings have interesting openings in them. They have windows. They have doors that are interesting. There's things in the windows. And the mere fact that there's lots of people walking also makes it more interesting. And, it, and it, by the way, it's also safer. The more people walk, actually, the safer it is because cars recognize that there's more people walking. So they're 
prepared for walkers as opposed to a place where a walker would show up unexpectedly and surprise the driver. So you're walking along the street. There's all kinds of interesting things to look at and your mind is going and all of a sudden, my, oh my goodness, we walked two miles. As opposed to walking in, in an urban sprawl subdivision where the scenery doesn't change, the houses are, are way back and, and you could walk a hundred yards and basically see the same thing. It's not safe because lots of those subdivisions have no sidewalks. You're actually walking in the street. So there, it's not very interesting and it's not very safe and people choose not to walk there. That same person who walks miles in an interesting place might not walk again down to the end of the street in, in, an, in an uninteresting place. Part of that is shopping centers. So you, you're in a parking lot. Certainly not safe. Montgomery County in Maryland did a study and found 22% of all the accidents in the whole county, that's the whole county, were in parking lots. And that includes car pedestrian accidents. You, you walk through a parking lot and there's no, most parking lots, there are no pedestrian amenities. There's not a sign that says be careful of pedestrians. There's not a sidewalk until you get closer to the store. There's not a crosswalk until you get closer to the store. So you're coming through these parking lots and there's nothing to protect you. Cars pulling out, pulling in. And again, it's, it's not very interesting. Yeah, the, the one thing that I had never thought about until you mentioned it some time ago was the fact that if you're in a parking lot, as a person, a user of the parking lot, you probably spend as much time or arguably maybe even more time walking as you do in your car. But yet the whole parking lot was constructed to facilitate driving and parking, but not departing from your vehicle as a pedestrian. And the thing that I thought was fascinating that you said was, you know, why don't they put a sidewalk right down where you pull in with your car? Why isn't there a sidewalk right down the middle so that you're not walking behind vehicles and potentially getting picked off by somebody backing up? And you would think, why? Everybody who pulls into a parking lot becomes a pedestrian at some point in the trip. We should think of parking lots as multimodal transition zones. Because you drive into the parking lot, you park your car, you transition to a pedestrian. You go into the mall, you come out, you transition into a driver. Yeah, but then the, the parking lots are totally designed for cars. I was in a parking lot the other day, and after reading about some of these things, and I looked, and there was not a single crosswalk, there was not a single sidewalk in this whole huge uh, shopping center area. It's like... Well, we'll put in parking spots for cars and totally forget that for every car that pulls in there, there's at least one pedestrian that's going to come out of that car. But it's totally forgotten. Yeah. And yet we encourage people, oh, you know, get some steps in, park as far away from the store as you can. But if we recall what you had said earlier about people won't walk if there's fear, there's danger, and it's not interesting. Parking lots are, based on what you just said about Montgomery County, dangerous. So there's fear and they are very not interesting. People will walk in the mall because the mall actually mimics a city street. The stores right next to where you're walking, mm -hmm. there's lots of openings, lots of doors, lots of windows. And so people 
will walk in the malls just like they'll walk in the cities because the mall mimics the city. So you go from the most dangerous place, the parking lot, where if you survive it, you, you get to walk in, in a very safe, <laughs> interesting place. When you think that parking lots forget pedestrians, and then you go back to the roadways that also forget pedestrians, and it makes it difficult to walk. How do roads forget pedestrians? As I said before, there's no sidewalks, shoulders are narrow. Where there are sidewalks, they're often not connected to one another. I was driving in a, a town just south of where we live, and there was a sidewalk, and the sidewalk actually was going along, and I went, oh, that's, that's nice, there's a sidewalk, and then there was a fence, and the sidewalk ended right at the fence. It's like the Shel Silverstein book. <laughs> where the sidewalk ends. Well, it ends right where there's a fence. Yeah, and, and you would think, what's wrong with this? <laughs> you know? What about like, for example, some communities are kicking in with rails to trails or there's other efforts by various areas to encourage walking or, or biking. Do you see those as effective or, or what are some of the issues there? Certainly, I would would never want to discourage building a, a rail trail, but the rail trail around this area, and I've been on others that are different, but the rail trails around this area don't have what's called connectivity. In other words, they don't go anyplace. So it, it's really nice if you want to be a recreational walker or runner or cyclist to use the trail. But if I want to use the trail to go to the shopping center, or I want to use it to go to school, or I want to use it to go to work. The rail trail can be part of the trip, but it's not going to be all of the trips. So someplace along the line, I'm going to have to get off the rail trail to do the last little piece from the rail trail to my destination, or from the rail trail to my house. And the fact that people are forgetting they have this beautiful rail trail and they have to put parking lots on the rail trail because people can't bike, walk, run safely from their house to the rail trail. So I have to build all these parking lots around the rail trails. Or there's that nice walk by you where we often walk through the woods. And there's a parking lot there because the road to the path is dangerous. We can't walk on it. There's no shoulder. Cars are going fast enough that if they hit you, they would hurt you badly. They're not prepared to see a pedestrian even. A pedestrian shows up and because there's so few pedestrians that, that walk on it, it increases the danger of those few people that choose to be on it. Just the infrastructure is, is totally not considering walkers. What are the benefits to a community of getting people out walking as opposed to driving around in their cars. Obviously, it benefits individuals for reasons of personal health to get out there and walk. But are there advantages to the larger population if one individual makes a decision to walk instead of drive? Oh, there's many benefits. Just think of if everybody was walking, and it, it builds us a sense of cohesion, it builds a sense of neighborliness as, as people walk by your house they talk to you so you get to know your neighbors where if you're driving by at 30 miles an hour you don't know your neighbors we're being forced in, into almost 
being isolated from our neighbors as we drive by and we spend more time in our cars. There's statistics out that show the more time we spend in our car, the less we volunteer in our community. Not only are we heavier, but we interact with our neighbors less. We interact with our community less. We volunteer less. So just the fact that we're getting people out walking and talking to each other is a huge benefit, also a security benefit. You know, if something goes wrong in your house, that your neighbor knows who you are and and can be there to help. But of course, if you're driving less, there's, there's less traffic congestion. With less traffic congestion, there's less air pollution. With less air pollution, it's just, it's healthier for everybody. If you drive less and walk more, you're saving money. It's a whole lot cheaper to walk someplace than to drive someplace. From the the standpoint of a commercial establishment or a retail outlet, parking, parking is hugely expensive. We were talking about how the parking lots don't consider pedestrians. But parking lot, they they built a parking, a little parking lot in, in our town. And if you take the total number of the total amount of money spent on the parking lot and divide it by the number of parking spaces, each one of those parking spaces costs $20,000. That's very expensive. You know, just think if we didn't need the parking places, how $20,000 could benefit the community. So there's economic development that's involved in it. People that walk, people that bike tend to stop more frequently. It's, it's easier to stop. You know, I'm, I'm walking down a city street and I feel like going into a store for a cup of coffee. It's pretty easy. I'm driving down the city street and it's not nearly as easy to, to pull my car over, park and walk in. I have to find the parking spot and, and that could be difficult in some places. In New York, there's the businesses along the streets that have the new bike lanes are doing better than they were before the bike lanes were in. Which is pretty funny because they are viciously opposed to the bike lanes originally. That's true. Because they they thought it was going to cut down on parking. Yeah. And, you know, if you get people walking and biking, you don't need the parking. And you're getting more people moving through there. You could put approximately 11 bicycles in a parking place that you could put one car in. So assuming that every bicycle is being ridden by a a person, I don't know any bikes that that go by themselves, that's 11 people. A car pulls into the place and it could be one person. So there's benefits to getting people out of cars. Cars are space hogs. So there's economic benefits to people. and, And also, as you build less parking lots, you keep this open space. It's more attractive. The more attractive things are, it becomes more enjoyable. There's many benefits making the communities just more livable places. And there's a, a push now for creating walkable communities, like walkability has kind of slipped into our lexicon. And houses in walkable communities are, are actually worth more than houses in communities that it's more difficult to walk in. So it's a, it's a benefit to the town to create a walkable community. I interviewed Rick from the way to Wellville, 
And he, within five American communities, is working very hard to increase the walkability of the community because they have identified, amongst a number of other things, but they have identified walkability as being important to the overall health of those communities. Everybody wins. Let's talk about some important stuff here. I know it's coming towards the end of the year, so I'm sure you have your personal statistics right at the ready because you're coming into the home stretch here. How many miles have you biked this year? Funny you should ask. Yesterday, I I bicycled my 5,000th mile for 2016. Good year? It's not not a top year, but as I get older, 5,000 miles is suitable. I'm pleased with it. It's respectable. And, and, and I, I, it's acceptable. And I'm pushing 1,000 walking and running miles also. Ah. Is that the only thing that you've kept track of? Or are there more statistics that we need to delve into here? <laughs> Let's see. I keep track on how many charities are, that I'm solicited by, but that's another story. <laughs> Save that for another podcast. It was Save re- that for another podcast. It was really great to have you on the show today, Dee. Thank you, Stacey. And I couldn't think of a nicer person to interview me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of All of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.